You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. Amen, and I'm excited to bring the word of the Lord with you this morning. If you want my notes, you can text the word notes to the number that's gonna be up on the screen. And this morning, our main text that we're gonna go through is in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse seven. And it says this, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this is Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And she, as she was going to get it, he called and said, please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I do not have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid, but go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I came here today to tell you that generosity is the seed of reformation. And before that God can bring reformation through your finances, he first must bring reformation to your finances. The title of my message today is The Seed of Reformation. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here. I'm on first service, but there was just tension in the room as we started talking about finances. So everybody, would you just lift your hands up to the Lord, begin to pray out in the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that every spirit of religion must leave. Father, we declare that the spirit of fear must go from this place. Father, we thank you for the joy that we get in giving. We thank you for the joy in generosity. And Holy Spirit, we ask for you to be in this room today. Thank you for freedom. We thank you for transformation. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Since this is the first time that I'm ministering here at Mercy Culture, I wanted to just take a moment to introduce myself and my family. Uh, my wife, who's here on the front row, if you, row second service, would you stand and just, can you thank my wife? She looks incredibly beautiful this morning. This is my family. We have a 12-year-old son named Israel, six-year-old daughter named, sorry, 10-year-old daughter named Charlie and a six-year-old daughter named Kingsley, who, like Nate's second-born, we're still trying to get saved currently. Um, but we moved here about six months ago and could not be more excited to be in this environment here at Mercy Culture. Prior to moving here, uh, we were lead pastors of a church for eight years up in the very warm climate of Washington State. And the Lord thankfully sent us from the gray clouds to the great state of Texas. And uh, we pastored a wonderful church up there in Woodland, Washington for about eight years. And about two years ago, the Lord asked us to transition out but five years ago from basically this month, the Lord told us to start a nonprofit called 33rd Company. And we started that with one of my best friends, Chris Donald, who I don't know if he's here at second service. He's the guy with long hair who attempts to look like Jesus as he's out preaching the gospel. And uh, 
the purpose of 33rd Company is to take the kingdom of God or the gospel to the most dangerous and unreached places in the world. And also to partner evangelists with the local church, which is something that we've been doing here at Mercy Culture actually for the last couple months. And I just want to read this to you. These are some of the numbers of salvations that we've seen in the last three weeks. We have seen 169 people born again in the last three weeks here. We've seen 25 people healed and 11 people water baptized. Come on, can we just celebrate a moment what the Lord is doing? Come on. The harvest is not yet four months off, but we declare that today is the day of salvation, that today is the day of deliverance. And then about three weeks ago, uh, Pastor Landon and Pastor Heather asked us to become the directors of a new house vision here called Citizens for Life, where we are believing to see reformation in the adoption and the abortion industries. And I'm wearing this shirt today that shows that we are not only against abortion, but we must be for something. We can't just be against abortion, but we are for adoption. And we believe that God is raising up an adoption revival in the local church where mothers and fathers will begin to adopt those who need to be adopted. And then my day job is that I'm an owner of a wealth management firm. And that firm has offices in multiple locations in multiple states, and we have an incredible staff of advisors, and we manage roughly around 425 million dollars. But we could not be more excited to be here a part of this environment. Our kids go to MC Prep, a school where they actually teach you how to have daily encounters on a daily basis, which I believe there's an open house today. If you're looking for a school to send your kids to, it's called MC Prep and it's right down the road. But before we move further, can we just take a moment and celebrate our lead pastors, Pastor Landon and Heather Schott, for stewarding an incredible ministry here. We honor you. We celebrate you. If you don't know, it's not normal what's happening in Mercy Culture, and we honor our leaders. Well, earlier this year, Pastor Landon released the prophetic word for 2024, that this would be the year of reformation, that this would be the year where crooked ways are made straight, where things that are wrong would be made right in the sight of God, that this would be a John 3, 30 year where he would increase and we would decrease. And two weeks ago, he preached a message about the heart of reformation. If you were not here and did not get a chance to listen to that yet, I highly encourage you to go back and watch this as he's teaching about students stewardship and tithing. And he talks about how reformation begins with the heart and your treasure or your money will reveal your heart. In Matthew, it says that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And he talked about how the spirit of mammon has been financing the evils in our day while the church is still struggling on whether we can walk in obedience with our tithing. That God is wanting to entrust us with more, but first we must become trustworthy and good stewards with what God has given us. And about six months ago, right when we moved here, Pastor Landon had asked me to speak to the staff on stewardship and generosity. And then for about the next two months, I met with each pastor individually and began to work with them on how to steward their own personal finances. And then I was incredibly honored when a couple months ago, Pastor Landon asked me to speak to you this morning on stewardship and generosity. These are probably two of my favorite topics to speak on, not because they can make any Pentecostal church sound like a Baptist church. Obviously not mercy culture, because we've got the joy of the Lord, amen? 
But I've been stewarding a prophetic word over my life since my early teenage years. And there were multiple moments at age 12, age 13, 14, 15, where the Lord would prophesy over me that I was going to make millions of dollars and give millions of dollars away. And I've been growing, my wife and I have been passionately growing in the gifts of stewardship and generosity. But how many people know that a prophetic word is not a guarantee? Right, it's an invitation to partner with the perfect will of God. So it requires you, you can't just get a prophetic word and be like, so be it, you've got to grow and steward that prophetic word. And I believe that God is raising up an army of believers that don't just look at their money as a means to put food on their table. They don't just look at their money as a means to pay for their bills and to pay for their mortgage, but it looks at them as their money as having greater purpose, that their money is the seed to reformation and God is wanting to use your dollars to seed revival in the land. As I mentioned before, working as an investment advisor, I work with people every single day who have millions of dollars or who make millions of dollars. And what I can promise you is this, is that more money will not solve your problems. Everybody say, more money. Come on, more money won't solve my problems. If you got bad stewardship with a little, you'll have bad stewardship a lot. In fact, it's harder to steward the more you get. If you aren't generous with a little, you will definitely not be generous with a lot. If you have a poverty spirit with a little, you'll have a poverty spirit. It is, there's nothing more comical than watching somebody with millions of dollars in the bank have a poverty spirit. And this morning, I want to propose to you that your finances are a training ground to teach you how to steward reformation. That those who are entrusted to steward reformation are those who have become good stewards of the resources that God has given them. In Luke chapter 19, we see a parable that Jesus is telling where he's giving three servants sums of money and he's entrusting them to steward those resources. And in Luke chapter 19, verse Verse 15, it says, when he had returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Everybody say cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Everybody say cities. God uses your finances to teach you how to steward reformation. See, you thought your money was there just to pay your bills, but your money is actually there to train you and to equip you how to steward reformation. It's time that we see our money differently. If we read in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, now what's the unrighteous mammon? This is your money. So if you have not been faithful with money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Now, true riches is not bags of gold sitting in your bank account. True riches is not winning the lottery. True riches are things that are eternal. True riches are souls. True riches are people to disciple. True riches are cities. True riches is reformation in the political system. True, reforma true reformation in the adoption industry. This is true riches. Not that you would have a lot, but that you would be entrusted with much. 
And God is saying, if you cannot be entrusted with money, you cannot be entrusted with reformation. Turn to your neighbor and say, reformation begins with me. Let me make this really simple. Almost every single one of us came here in a car, in an automobile. Maybe you own it, maybe you're paying on it. And that car requires the oil to be changed. It requires tire pressure to be checked. It requires you to steward that car. So when your kids make a mess in that car to clean it out and make sure that it's clean. And if you cannot steward your car, why would God entrust you with a soul to disciple? Let's make this really simple this morning. If you can't steward your car, why would he give you a soul to disciple? Which if you didn't know, the Great Commission is not to go to church every Sunday. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples and to baptize them. So if you can't take care of your house or your car, why would he give you a soul to disciple? Reformation begins with you. Before you can bring reformation through your finances, reformation must first come to your finances. Before you can live a life of generosity, you must first live a life of stewardship. And Pastor Landon, two weeks ago, when he preached the heart of reformation, he talked about the value of stewardship. That stewardship means to manage someone else's property. And everything that you own, your kids, your marriage, your money, your car, your house, it all belongs to the Lord. In Psalms chapter 24, verse 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The Lord and all its people belong to him. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. Now, for most people, when they look at scripture and they look at what God is talking about finances in the Bible, they think that his primary focus is on tithing. But I would propose to you that that is not the primary theme in Scripture as it relates to money. It's ownership. It's ownership. And if you think that the only thing that God cares about is your tithe, you'll give 10% to the Lord, but keep 90% for yourself. It's like when you first started learning math. There was a certain way to do math, but now what we've got is we've got like this whole common core curriculum. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Last year, when my son went to another school, not MC Prep, because MC Prep is saved, but when he was at another school in sixth grade last year, he brought home his math homework, and he would ask for help. Now, I feel like I'm pretty good with math. I'd work with numbers almost every single day, and he'd be like, Dad, can you show me how to do this problem? And I'd begin to work with him, and I'd be like, well, here's one, two, three steps of how to get the answer. He's like, that's not what my teacher told me. There's 12 steps to get to that answer. I'm like, no, son, there is three. Your teacher is wrong. Come on, we need some reformation in our math department. I'm like, you don't need 12 steps, just do three. And some Christians today got a kind of skewed picture of what biblical math looks like. Put this graph up on the board. A lot of people think that 10% equals 100. That if I tithe and I give 10% of my money to God, that means I've given 100% of my money to the Lord. That's not biblical math. I mean, picture this. Remember when you were a dirty, wretched sinner and God came to you and your mess and your sin and he, he embraced you and you want to know what he didn't say? What he didn't say is, oh, son, just give me 10% of your life. I know people are going to say it's, it's part of the law and it's Old Testament and it's not the new covenant and you don't need to do it anymore. And anybody who tells you you need to give more than 10%, they're just being religious. But just give me 10% of your life. That's not what he said. He said, your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And those who try to save their life, they will lose it. 
He said, no, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, you need to give everything you have to me. It's no different with your money. Correct biblical math is actually this. 10% plus nine. I know some of you are just getting delivered right now. You're like, I've been wondering how this works. 10 plus 90 equals 100. Reformation in math. This is what biblical stewardship looks like. The problem is, is that most people think that only 10% is holy. The 90% is holy to the Lord. You want to know why? Because it all belongs to him. 90 is the Lord's, just like the 10. And if you don't believe that the 90% is holy to the Lord, what will end up happening is you will tithe, but be a terrible steward with the rest. This is very simple, very simple math, but this will change the way you see money. And I believe that today I want to give you four basic principles of how biblical stewardship looks like in your finances. Not just how to steward the 10, but how to steward the 90. The first one is this, is that good stewards tithe. Good steward size. Pastor Land did an incredible job talking about this a few weeks ago. I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning, but the tithe is holy and it belongs to the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. A couple of years ago, actually probably our second year of marriage, we've been married 15 years. I know you're like, how? You're 25. I know, we got married young. That's how we do it. But she's a cougar. Praise the Lord. Somebody pray for me. She turned 40 this year, dear Heavenly Father. Whew. And probably our second year of marriage, we stopped tithing. The reason we stopped tithing is because we did not trust the way the church was handling our finances. We're like, well, we could do a better job with that money. And all, all of a sudden, the Lord, a couple months in, came and brought heavy conviction to our hearts when he reminded us we don't just give our tithe to the church, but we're giving our tithe to the Lord. And when we keep our tithe in our pocket, we are robbing from God. You gotta listen, you can only rob from somebody if what you're robbing belongs to them. And the tithe is holy and it belongs to the Lord. So the first one is good stewards tithe. The second one is good stewards use a budget. Luke 14, verse 28 says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Proverbs 13, 16 says, A wise man thinks ahead. And I can't believe I just said that about you. My wife is going to kill me after this message. So great. Proverbs 13, 16. A wise man thinks ahead. Father, just cover me with the blood of Jesus. A wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. Listen very carefully. If you don't budget, you are a bad steward. No amens to that one. If you don't budget, you're a bad steward. Let, let, me, let me help you understand. How can you be a good steward if you don't know where your money is going? How can you be a good steward if you don't know how much money you spent on groceries that last month? Now, like, our kids are the Lord's, right? So we're in charge of stewarding our children. 
And if you came to me and you're like, you know, Aaron, I haven't seen your kids in the last three months. Where have they been? I'm like, ah, I don't know. They've been sleeping at your house. I don't know if they've been eating. I don't know what, in fact, I should call MC Prep to see if they've even been at school. You would be like, bro, you suck as a father. Like you're a bad steward of your children. In the same way, if you don't know where your money has gone, how can you be a good steward of your finances? If you don't budget, it's because you're choosing to be lazy. It's simple as that. If you, there's enough resources available, if you don't budget, it's because you're choosing to be lazy. Let me give you some practical advice today. If you don't know how to budget or if you're just beginning to budget, go ask two or three people to help you build your budget. Be vulnerable, be transparent, let people look in. There's people today who they share their Google Excel sheet with me so I can go in and see their budget at any time. Be vulnerable, ask for people to help you build your budget. So the second one is good stewards use a budget. The third one is good stewards multiply what they have. A wise steward actually means to bring increase to their master's resources. In Matthew chapter 25, there's a great parable about how Jesus is, is, or master is entrusting servants with different sums of money, and two of them multiply what God has given them. The third one takes what he has received, hides it in the ground because he's scared. And the master comes to him and he says, you are a lazy, wicked servant. You're a worthless servant because you did not multiply what God gave you. I would like to submit to you this morning that God is asking you to multiply the money, multiply the resources that you have. Why? So that you can use those resources as the seed to reformation. And multiple places in the Bible talks about how to invest your money, how to multiply your money. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is a great resource to go and to read where it talks about having multiple streams of income, talks about how to invest and investment philosophies. And it's time that we stop bowing to that idol of fear and worried that we won't make good decisions and realize that we have a partner in our multiplication and it's called the Holy Spirit. And he wants to partner with you as you multiply the resources that he's entrusted to you. It's kind of a cheat code. It's like, if you want to be a good steward, multiply. And by the way, I'll multiply it with you. Okay, so number four. Good stewards are radically generous. Here at Mercy Culture, we have a value of generosity. And it's this, we don't give to get. We give our time, treasure, and talents from a heart of love with pure motives. First Timothy chapter six, verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous. Command them to be generous and willing to share. Now in scripture, there's two different primary words as it relates to giving and generosity. The first one for giving is the Hebrew word sadaka, which means required giving, righteous giving, or this is your tithe. This is you returning to God what belongs to him. This is sadaka. Now, above the tithe is generosity. And here's where we get the Hebrew word nedivu, which comes not from obligation or rational thought. Sometimes you make an idol out of rational thought. Rather, it is your heart compelling you. It is when your need becomes my need, and it's the generosity of the heart. It's the joy of giving. We see this in Exodus 25, verse 2, when it says, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. For everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. 
Now, in the Old Testament, nedevu was primarily translated as generosity, but in the New Testament, two words were added to the translation of nedevu, which was bountifully and liberality. This is where we see in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, where it says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That biblical generosity is giving without expecting anything in return. And then liberality we get from the Greek word haplotes, which means not self-seeking, bountifulness, or free from pretense, which is what we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, when it says, he who gives, give with liberality. So let me make generosity very simple for us here this morning. Generosity is not you giving out of your extra. Generosity is you giving extra to someone else. Let me say it again. Generosity is not you giving out of your overflow, your extra. Generosity is you giving extra to someone else. Somebody ever give you a plate of food and they gave you a generous portion, right? It was more than you thought you needed, right? That is what generosity is. And too often people in the body of Christ Blame God for their inability to be generous. Oh God, if you would just give me more money, if you just make it a little easier, if you just gave me a raise. But generosity has nothing to do with you getting a raise. Generosity has nothing to do with you having extra. Generosity is you choosing to give extra to someone else. This is what generosity is. And when you say things like, well, I can only give in generosity when I make more money, what you're saying is I serve the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon says, I'll give more when I have more. The spirit of mammon says, I'll only budget when I make more money. Let me ask you this. Have you made your willingness to be generous based upon making more money? Have you forgotten who the supplier of your seed is? Have you forgotten the power of your money. Let me tell you a little bit of my story. Uh, when growing up, the way that the Lord taught me how to hear his voice was always through generosity. When I was 15 years old, the Lord came to me and he asked me to give away all of my favorite clothes. Thankfully, not all of them, just my favorite clothes. And he told me to actually give them to Chris Donald, who has been my best friend my whole life. Now, back then, you can all tell him I said this. He was skinny Chris back then. We could fit the same clothes. He ain't skinny Chris anymore. He's the Holy Ghost-filled Chris. And it added about 35 pounds to his body. But back then, we were the same size. In fact, one day, I gave him my jacket, and I was like, that's a fat guy in a little coat, buddy. That ain't working anymore. But he told me to give all of my favorite clothes to Chris. And I didn't get any new ones back. And then two years later, when I was 17, the Lord told me to give away my, my car. Now, I was driving a Pontiac Grand Prix, blue, tinted windows, CD player. Come on, somebody, your boy was rolling. Chrome wheels, they don't even make it anymore. That's how, that's how awesome it is. And I heard the Lord say, give away. Now, first of all, I, I binded that word. I was like, there's no way God would ask me to do that. That's the devil. You, you know I need it. God ever ask you to do something crazy and you're like, I bind you, Satan, because I know that God would never ask me to give away something that matters to me. You would never ask me to be generous and do something awesome like giving away my car. 
So finally I went to my parents. I was like, this is what I feel like the Lord's telling me. And they're like, well, then you need to do it. So I went and I gave away my car. Now, I went to bed that night thinking that in my driveway the next morning, there would be a white Hummer with spinners. Come on, somebody. There would be a boat behind the Hummer with a note on the dashboard that said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here is your great and mighty reward. And you will be shocked. There was no Hummer. There was no boat. There was no note. There was crickets. And about two weeks later, I finally had to go to my parents and be like, can I drive the minivan, please? You know how hard it is to get a girl when you're driving a minivan with no kids in the back? That's creeper alert. But I learned something very important in that season. I learned that it is not about me giving to get something back, but it is a privilege for me to give. That I don't give to the Lord with strings attached saying, God, I'll give this if you give me something back. But everything I have belongs to him. So you want my car? Here it is. You want my clothes? Here it is. And it is the joy of generosity that fills my heart. So then a couple, a couple years later, the Lord came to my wife and I and he said, I want you to help somebody else buy a house. Now, we wanted to buy a house, but he said, I want you to help somebody first. And then a few years after that, the Lord came to us and said, okay, I want you to take all your house saving, all the money that you've been saving to build your dream home. I want you to take that money, and I want you to use it to start 33rd Company. And then next year, I want you to give $50,000 to 33rd. Now, I don't know about you guys, but $50,000 is no small sum. Maybe for some of you, that's, that's easy but it was literally impossible. There was no way we could do it. I was like, God, like I wanna say yes, but there's no way. He's like, if you will say yes to me, I will provide the finances. So I said, well, the only way I know how to do this is to take 50,000 and divide it by 12. In January, we'll give one twelfth of 50. February, we'll, so we did. In January, we gave one twelfth of 50 and nothing changed. February, we gave one twelfth of 50 and nothing changed. And all of a sudden at the end of February, beginning of March, the owner of the investment firm that I was working at came into my office and he sat down and he's like, Aaron, you know how we've been talking about five, maybe 10 years from now, I'll sell you this investment firm. Well, what if we just sell it to you today? Why don't you just make me whatever offer you think is appropriate and you can have it right now. And all of a sudden what was supposed to take 10 years or five years became accelerated into a couple months. Now, why did God do that? It wasn't so that my wife and I could build an awesome home. No, he did that so he could give more away. And he came to us a couple months later and he said, now I want you to double what you gave last year. I want you to double that next year. And then for the next three years, it was whatever you gave the year before, you have to double next year. And then it was, now I want you to give 50% of everything that you make. That progressional generosity. We think, well, God asked me to give something big last year. He's definitely not gonna ask me to do that again this year. I mean, at Heart for Mercy last year, he asked me to do something crazy this year. He's probably like, take a year off, buddy. You deserve it. <laughs> no, find me any place in Scripture where the Lord does that. Faith, glory, it all is progression. We go from glory to glory. Our fasting goes deeper and deeper. He wants to give you new levels of faith over and over and over. This is what generosity is. It's progressional. And see, what has happened is because that 15-year-old decided to give away his clothes, all of a sudden now we're seeing with 33rd Company how we're seeing tens of thousands of people saved in the Middle East every single year. We're seeing hundreds of wells dug that are giving water to Christians that could never get it before. We're seeing hundreds of people saved a month here at Mercy Culture, all because a 15-year-old gave away his clothes. That's the seed of Reformation. And you thought that what God asked you to give away wasn't going to make much of a difference. 
You looked at what God had placed in your hand and you said, how could this possibly bring about reformation? I was speaking to a friend of mine a couple of years ago. This man is a very wealthy individual, makes a lot, has a lot. And I'd been discipling him on radical generosity. And I sat down with him and he'd be so excited to tell me his testimony of how he's given radically away generously. And he begins to tell me how he had this third car. And it was a car he never drove. It was a car that his family didn't need anymore. And he sold it and he gave the money away. He was like, Aaron, I'm finally doing it. I'm being radically generous. And I just felt, I was provoked by the Holy Spirit. I felt this righteous like indignation in my heart. And the Lord told me, tell him he's lying to himself. So I said, bro, I'm, I'm proud of you. Like, that's awesome. But I want you to know you're not being radically generous yet because you're giving what is convenient. You're giving what is just, it's just the extra. There's no cost. There's no pain in the process. You didn't have to adjust your life. That's not radical generosity. Like, I'm so proud of you, but there's another level that you're not at yet. And this morning, I want to help somebody in the room who's struggling with the difference between convenient giving and generosity. Let me help paint this picture for you. See which one you can identify with. Convenient giving doesn't require faith. Convenient giving, there isn't a cost. With convenient giving, you don't have a word from the Lord. With convenient giving, you give only when you have extra. With convenient giving, you give with strings attached. Now there's a difference with generosity. With generosity, it will always require faith. Generosity will always require you to take a step of faith. With generosity, there is a cost. There is a great cost. In 2 Samuel, uh, David talks about how I don't want to give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Let me tell you something. When you step into radical generosity, your budget will change. When you step into radical generosity, you might not be able to go on that vacation. When you step into radical generosity, you might have to sell something that was special to you. There's a cost to generosity. Generosity is when you give what pleases the Lord. Generosity is when you give in obedience and when you don't give to get. So let me ask you this morning, do you give out of convenience or do you give out of generosity? Do you give only when you have extra? Do you give just what's, what's there sitting on the sidelines or do you give out of generosity? So the question is, how do I know how much to give? How do I know what generosity looks like for me? Let me give you some practical advice this morning. Ask the Lord what pleases him. Every year, my wife and I, we go away in the fall and we spend about three or four days and we seek the Lord to know what generosity looks like for us the following year. And we ask for a specific number or a specific percentage. Because if we don't get a specific number or a specific percentage, we will give too little. Now, my wife always gets a number that's like stupid crazy. So I'm like, Lord, go spend, go spend time with the Lord again. I don't think that was God. Anybody have a spouse like that in the room where you're like, uh, you haven't looked at our bank account lately, have you? But you need to go ask the Lord what generosity looks like for you. When you don't ask the Lord what generosity looks like for you, you will make a financial decision 
rather than a spiritual decision. Generosity is not a financial decision. It is a spiritual decision. And what happens is, is we make an idol over financial strategies. An idol is anything we place above the Lord. And we choose to serve the financial strategies of our retirement plan. You want to know how many times I've given away my college savings account for my kids? It doesn't make sense sometimes. I've liquidated bank accounts because the Lord said, that's not fine. I work with people every single day and I try to give them financial strategies to make wealth. Generosity is not going to fit inside of a financial strategy you're going to find online that says, do these three steps. And all of a sudden your 401k will be enough for you to retire on. This is not financial. This is spiritual. And too many of us have made an idol out of financial strategies rather than seeking the Lord and saying, God, what does generosity look like for me? And then walking in obedience. Let me give you my financial strategy for me and my family. It is Proverbs 11, verse 24 says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. This is my financial strategy. Giving freely, yet growing richer. Why does God want you to grow richer? Not so that you can make, like have a bigger house and have nicer things, it's so you can be a bigger blessing to others. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. You wanna know what biblical financial strategy looks like? It says it will never be mine, it will always be yours and whatever he asks me to give, Lord, I will give it. See, we are engaging in idolatry when we think that our money is merely there to make our life more comfortable rather than to advance the kingdom of God. If the first thing that you think about when you get a bonus or when you get a raise is now I can go buy that nicer house and now I can go get that better car and now I can go make that purchase, you are worshiping the idol of self. God did not give you your money so you can merely pay your bills, put food on the table, send your kids to college, and then someday have a nice, comfortable retirement. He gave you your money to teach you how to be a good steward, to walk in generosity so that you can become a steward of reformation. Mercy culture, it's time that we begin to see our money differently. It's time that we begin to think a little bit higher as it comes to our finances. There is a greater purpose on your money than merely paying your mortgage. There's a greater purpose on your money than merely paying for your car payment. There's a greater purpose on your money. And try to convince the early church of Acts that their money was merely there to make their life more comfortable. No, they gave everything they had to advance the kingdom of God. They sold it all to say, God, everything I own belongs to you. And let this be the seed of reformation in my life. See, we've been deceived by culture that makes us think that if we can just get the next purchase, the next house, the next vacation, the next automobile, all of a sudden we'll feel joy. But there is a joy in generosity that you can never get with that next purchase. You ever buy that next automobile, that next house, and you realize, wow, this just became the old house, and this just became the old automobile. It's not what it's cracked up to be. And it's time we begin to see that our money has greater purpose than just benefiting our life. The Bible says that wherever there is selfish ambition, there will be every demonic spirit. And when you make your money about yourself, you're just inviting darkness into your family. My money was never about me. It was always about honoring him. And your money is the seed to reformation. A couple of years ago, the Lord asked my wife and I to, to give this large sum of money away. And I was like, God, there's, there's literally no way we can do that. 
And he said, I want you to go read about Peter walking on water. So I opened up my Bible, I began to read about Peter. Like, oh Lord, you're asking me, oh Peter, he kept his eyes on you. He's like, no, stop looking at Peter. And I want you to start looking at the other 11. It's like, why did the other 11 stay in that boat? And I, the more I thought about it, I'm like, well, if I was John or if I was Matthew, I'd been like, put me in, coach Jesus. I can do what Peter couldn't do. Just ask me to come upon the water. And Jesus was like, Aaron, I'm calling you out, but you have a choice to make. I'll still be in that boat with you. But getting out of that boat, you are leaving the safety of the boat. And there's a possibility you may sink in those waters, but I'll be with you in those waters. And a conviction in my heart began to rise where I realized I never want to stay in the safety of that boat ever again, but I'd rather sink in the waters of impossibility. And like that anthem of Esther that said, if I perish, I will perish. God, I don't care what it looks like, but Lord, I'm all in. The same anthem of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that said, I will not bow to that idol. And my God will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't come through, I still will not bow to that idol of fear. There must be something in your heart that says, I don't want to play it safe any longer. Too many of us have chosen to stay safe in our generosity, stay safe in the boat rather than getting out and walking on the water with Jesus. If we can have the worship team come back to the stage, we go to 1 Kings chapter 17 where Elijah is sent to the widow and he says, please bring me some bread. And the widow responds to Elijah and she says, I do not have any bread I only have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. Now, I, I don't profess to be proficient in the kitchen. In fact, I'm quite dangerous when I'm allowed in. But one thing I know is that flour and oil can get you to bread. And what this widow is saying to Elijah is she's saying, I don't have any bread. I only have the ingredients of bread. And what I can tell you today is Jesus is saying, I want you to be generous. And most of us are like, I can't be generous. I only have this amount of money. I only have this in the bank. I only have these resources. And what you're saying is I only have the ingredients to generosity. Every single person in this room has the ingredients to generosity today in your wallet, in your bank. You have the ingredients. You ever ask yourself, why did God send the prophet? to a single mama? Why did God send the prophet to a widow? Like, why didn't he send the prophet to a rich businessman? I'm sure there was somebody, there was a baker at somewhere in the town who had a lot of loaves of bread. Why did he send the prophet to the widow? Can I tell you that it was never about the amount of oil or the amount of flour that she had to give. It was about her obedience that was gonna be what broke through to bring reformation to her and her family. It was never about the amount. See, sometimes we look at the seed in our hand, the seed that God has entrusted us with, whatever's in our bank account, we're like, how could this make any difference? You're right, in your hand, it cannot. In your hand, it's just maybe enough for you and your family. But planted into the hands of Jesus, it can bring reformation. It's like the boy with the five loaves and the two fish. In his own hand, maybe he could feed him and one other person. But planted into the hands of the miracle-working God. And all of a sudden, it can bring reformation to 15,000 people. Oh, you're right, giving away clothes as a 15-year-old. It really is insignificant. But all of a sudden, it's the seed to bring reformation to the Middle East. 2 Corinthians. 
chapter nine, verse 10, it says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Whew, I can feel the presence of the Lord. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When you don't have a heart for generosity, it's because you have forgotten who supplies your seed. You know how easy, my kids have no problem giving away money. You wanna know why? Because they know their daddy will give them more. <laughs> my, my daughter's like, got money burning in my pocket, let's buy something or let's give it away. We should be no different. You wanna know why? Because we know who our supplier of our seed is. It's not my bank, it's not my job, it's not my employer, so I'll gladly sow. And you wanna know why you have the seed? It's to sow. And it shows us here that the sower begins to see a harvest of righteousness. This is the reformation that comes from your generosity. So Elijah responds to the widow. She says, I can't do this. I only have the ingredients. And Elijah says, do not fear, but go and do as you have said. Do not fear. The greatest enemy to generosity is fear. I, I won't have enough. If I give that, I won't be able to pay my bills. If I give that, I don't know if I'll be able to retire. You're like, wow, that sounds extreme. I tell you, I think these questions every single day at times. Ah, if I live that way, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And we have bowed to the idol of fear over. The reason why you stay in convenient giving rather than moving to generosity is you choose to bow to fear rather than the Lord. So then we see at the end of the story and it says, and she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. See, the widow's seed of generosity did not just bring reformation to her. It brought reformation to all those around her. God does not just want to bring reformation to you through stewardship, but he wants to bring reformation through you through generosity. And every single one of us possesses the seed to generosity. It may not look like much. It may look like just a couple of clothes. It may look like something that seems insignificant at the time, but it is the seed that can bring reformation. I believe that the Lord is raising up an army here in Mercy Culture, an army in the body of Christ that will be radically generous. That will say, God, make my finances, make my money the seed of reformation. God, I don't want to see my money as merely just the means to put food on my table. I don't want to see my money as the means to just send my kids to college or to pay my mortgage or to pay for my car. But God, I want to begin to see my money with greater purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com.